0: We're going to be reading from one of the eyewitness accounts of um, Jesus' death this morning. So that's in um, in the Bible, um, in Mark chapter 15. Um, it's on page one one thousand and twenty eight of the church Bibles. So Mark 15, and we're going to start from verse 15. Um, we're sort of picking up mid-story, um, so I do encourage you to go back later today and, and I'd read probably from the start of chapter 14. Um, so we're picking up mid-story, Jesus um, has been taken to the Roman governor, so the Jews are under um, Roman rule and they've taken Jesus to the Roman governor, Pilate. So pick it up with me, The um, the words are on the screen or you can follow along in the Bible. So verse 15, so Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus he delivered him to be crucified and the soldiers led him away inside the palace that is the governor's headquarters and they called together the whole battalion and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns they put it on him And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passer-by, Simon of Cyrene, and the inscription of the charge against him read the king of the jews and when they had crucified uh, and with him they crucified two robbers one on his right and one on his left and those who passed by derided him wagging their heads and saying aha you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in 3 days save yourself and come down from the cross So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sak bakthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink
1: Good morning, people. Let it come down a bit. Good morning, everyone. Uh, If you're new with us this morning, my name's Kurt. I'm the minister of St. Matts. It's a pleasure having you along this morning. We're going to be looking at that part of... Oops. (laughs) I'll go this other one. It's a bit... This is my favourite one. Turn it down a bit, mate. That's it. All right, we're going to be looking at that incredible part, that incredible story of Jesus, Mark's account of Jesus' life, his death. Uh, and we'll be talking specifically about the question of suffering today and this weekend, reflecting on how the cross speaks to this issue of suffering and the resurrection. So let me pray and let's ask God to speak to us. Father God, we just want to praise you and thank you for this morning. Uh, you promise that this old story of Jesus, this account of his death has something to say to us now you promise that you speak now and we ask that you do it to us that each of us wherever we're up to in our lives would hear a word from you and we pray in jesus name amen well we do live in an incredible country um so good don't we that often you feel like you have no reason to complain Uh, you feel like a bit of a whinger you have a bad day and you start whinging To someone in your life and you think to yourself i can't really do this because you look on the news and you think other people have it so hard (sighs) but as good as australia might be as good as botany might be uh, there are points in life where life is is a struggle isn't it It's, it's 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 significant struggle as a pastor i regularly spend time with people who each day is effectively just survival mode You know, you get into survival mode where you're just trouncing through life, just trying to get to the next day and the next day and the next hour and the next minute. Whether it's long-term sickness, whether it's chronic pain, whether it's grief, whether it's trauma, whether it's loss, whether it's deep regret over something that's happened in the past. I know if I sat down with each one of you this morning and had a hot crossbone with you and had a cup of tea, uh, that inevitably we would hit something where if you were really honest with me, uh, you're really struggling with. It hits some pain in your life or it pain in the lives of the people that you know. And so this question I want to ask the question, uh, this Easter, I want to ask the question, does Easter make a difference to that? Does Easter make a difference to the sufferings in our lives? Um, because I feel like if it doesn't, then, then it's really not taking life as it truly is. If, if Easter really only works for us when life's going well, then I think the majority of our lives will get completely missed. And so this morning, does Christian faith make a difference to our suffering? Does God help us in our suffering? Because what I've found is, for a lot of people, the idea of God actually... Sorry, the, their suffering actually turns them away from the idea of God. I used to work for a man uh, who was a paraplegic. When he was 20 years old, uh, he, he hurt his neck... And as a consequence, he ended up in a wheelchair. Uh, And I would go every Saturday to help him mow his lawns and wash his car and and help with his family—a kind of a home care thing. I'd just become a Christian, and um, I remember sharing the news with him. And I remember him looking me in the eye and saying, "If God's really there, if God's really good, then why am I stuck like this? Why am I in this chair?" And I remember just being taken aback, you know. I mean, he was asking this fundamental question. How could a good God allow suffering? The reality is for lots and lots of people, this is an issue that is a, it's, it, it prevents belief in God. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe it's your suffering. Maybe it's the suffering of the people around you. But the idea of belief in God in light of that not only seems illogical, but it just seems almost impossible. How could a good God allow suffering? Well, this morning, I want to take you through some reflections of how Easter actually speaks to that question of how a good God could allow suffering. And we're going to do two, two things. Firstly, we're going to talk about the logic of suffering. And secondly, we're going to look at what Good Friday has to say about suffering. So firstly, the logic of suffering. What I find is when people in the midst of suffering, when they're going through the through the real hard difficult days of it, they don't actually ask philosophical questions about it. <laughs> they don't sit back and say oh I wonder what this tells me about the nature of reality and who God is. And they're not asking that question. I find when people are going through the heart of suffering if, if, if they do engage in God it's usually just to say God I hate you. God if you're there I don't want to know you. But oftentimes afterwards, after you go through the crucible of suffering, the real pain of it, you can come to a place where you start to ask the philosophical questions. And it's the philosophical question that's put forward in this book by a bloke called Jay Mackey. He says this, If a good and powerful God exists, he would not allow pointless evil. But because there is much unjustifiable pointless evil in the world, the traditional good and powerful god could not exist so it sounds logical doesn't it if, if a good god exists he wouldn't allow pointless evil there's pointless evil there can't be a good god sounds logical but you need to take a closer look at what he says there he says here notice he says here he would not allow pointless evil and later on he says much evil is pointless now what he's saying there is that not all evil and suffering not all suffering is pointless and we know that from our own experience, don't we? That there's, there's bad things that have happened in our past that we know that if that didn't happen, that would, then we would have suffered a much greater suffering as a consequence of it. Something terrible happens to us and it saves us from something later. And so the question is, who decides on what's pointless? Who, who knows what's pointless, suffering and evil? Now, Mackie here is saying, from his perspective, if evil is pointless to me, from my limited perspective as a human being, not even every human being, just from my Western human perspective, then it must be pointless. Meaning, if I can't imagine how God might allow something to happen, then it must be pointless, therefore he can't be good and powerful. But I want you to consider this. If it's true what the Bible puts forward of God, if God is powerful enough to restrain evil, even though our world is so big and it's so vast, if He's powerful enough to create the universe and sustain the universe, then is it not also possible there might be a point to suffering that we don't understand? Is it not also possible there might be a point to suffering that's beyond us? What? I think, yes, you've got to assume there is that possibility. Yes, it is still possible that suffering exists and yet God could be good. But to be honest, that's, for a lot of people, not enough. <laughs> suffering people don't just want philosophical possibilities that God is good and all-powerful. That, they, that what they are going through possibly has a point to it. I remember as I continued the conversation with the guy that I cared for who was in the wheelchair, he said, what's the point of my suffering? And I said to him, I, you know, probably very silly, I was 20 years old, so you expect this, but I, I, t- I tried to sort of just speculate of what the point of it might have been. I told him, look, I, I don't ultimately know, but you met your, your current wife, was one of your carers, You now have two kids as a consequence of it. If you didn't end up in a wheelchair, you wouldn't have met her. You wouldn't have had your beautiful two kids. I said, so maybe that's it. And then he said to me, he just looked at me and he said to me, but I just don't think that's enough. I don't think it's enough. It's all a possibility, isn't it? It's all speculation. Who knows? And when you're going through it, God just being possibly good and possibly powerful. It's not enough. And so the question becomes how can we know for sure that God is good and all powerful in the midst of our suffering? Because if we knew that, if we knew that He was good, then even though we might not know the individual reasons why particular sufferings happened at particular times, even though there might be a mystery to it all, if we knew He was good, then it would give us hope that our suffering is not pointless and so how can we know how can we know is god is good and that takes us to the story of good friday that takes us to good friday and how it speaks to this question of suffering it takes us to a man named jesus who who grew up as a carpenter learning his dad's trade he was a stonemason carpenter back then at 34 he starts traveling around as a teacher and a healer and at age 37, he's executed on a cross. He endures one of the most shameful and painful deaths known in the world at the time. And so, Good Friday, we're here today, is a day to remember what he's suffering. The ultimate example of God's goodness in our suffering. And so, as we read through the accounts today in Mark, we read of a, of a, of a tale of suffering, of Jesus' suffering. First, we see that Jesus physically suffered. Uh, mark's account it's going to be up on the screen chapter 15 verse 15 verse 19 it says so pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd released for them barabbas and having scourged jesus he delivered him to be crucified now i'm not sure if you know what scourging is and what the practice was back then uh, it, it's pictured graphically in that movie years ago the passion of the christ it's that idea where that um, roman centurions who were experts in torture created this uh, sort of whip that a large leather whip and within the whip at the end had hooks and and bits of bone and rocks and so what they would do is they would put uh the person they were torturing down on on a, a stone and tie them down and then they'd get this big whip and they'd whip their back so that the 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 hooks and the and the bone and the and the um and the rocks would rip into the flesh um to to put the person through excruciating pain. Verse 16, and the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. So he's had his flesh ripped off his back, he's now been placed a crown of thorns on his head, blood running down his face. Uh it doesn't go into lots of detail in the gospels but it's very clear from the description of good friday jesus suffered physically secondly he also suffered socially so verse 18 and they began to salute him hail king of the jews and they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him and when they had mocked him they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him and so, what are they doing him? It's like they're playing dress-ups with him. They're putting, making him look like a mock king. They're putting purple robe, the color of royalty. They're acting like he's the king by now kneeling down and bowing down to him. But at the same time, they're beating him. They're hitting him in the head. They're spitting in his face. Now, the only time I've ever, the only time I've ever really been beaten up, I was probably fourteen, uh, maybe thirteen. Maybe, yeah, thirteen. And uh, I'd annoyed this guy, older bloke, he lived up the road. And so he grabbed my head and he rammed it into the ground and just rubbed it into the gravel on the ground. And I remember when I got home, I was crying, I was really upset. But it wasn't because of the physical pain. Uh, It was the shame of being beaten. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It's just this feeling of shame like you're completely, like someone has used their power to crush you. I felt worthless. Jesus, as he went before his torturers, was beaten, he was spat upon, he was mocked, he was abused. But he was shamed. He was mistreated. He, was, he suffered socially. See, if you were there on Good Friday, you would have seen the physical torture. You would have seen the social isolation and the social ridicule. And perhaps you would have been shocked. But the most excruciating suffering Jesus endured that day couldn't actually be seen. This is the thing. It couldn't actually be seen. And this is the third thing we see. Jesus suffered spiritually. Verse 33, it says, When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemeth sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus throughout his life made the extraordinary claim that no other Jewish teacher made. The Jews believed there was one God, all right, and his name was Yahweh. Jesus claimed he was that one God. So in John chapter 10, Jesus is questioned by the Jewish leaders and he says to them, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. The Father talking about God now the reaction from the Jews, verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father, from which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. So the Jews understood what Jesus was claiming. Jesus claimed to be God. But on the cross, something really confusing happens. He cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that's confusing. I met up with a young bloke years ago. He actually lived next door to me. And he asked me about this verse. He came up to me and he said to me, how does that make sense? If Jesus says he is God, then why, as he's on the cross, is he talking to God? Like, if he's God, then is he talking to himself? How does that make any sense? And it's actually a very good question how can Jesus be God and yet speak to God and it actually takes us to the heart of Jesus suffering on the cross see as you read through the account of Jesus life Jesus actually did he actually did something that no other Jew, Jewish teacher did he actually called God his father now that was a term for God that the Jewish people never used. no one told God their father except for Jesus And so as that relationship is described and explained in the Bible, it's the idea that God is not just one lonely God with a big beard up in the sky, that the God of the Bible is one God made up of three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus made the claim in is that he claimed that he was God the Son, become man, continuing to be in perfect relationship with his loving father in heaven so it's one god three persons of that one god like it's intersect in a sense god is a perfect relationship of love and so jesus as he lived throughout his life claimed that he was god the son in perfect relationship with his heavenly father but as he hung on the cross there jesus cries out to his father my god my god why have you forsaken me See what's happening there? What happened on the cross was when Jesus was there he became what God his father hated most. He became in that moment, he took upon himself all of our sin. Now sin is sometimes a very ambiguous word in our culture. For some people it just means doing a bad thing occasionally like a mistake. For some it's like the really bad things that people do that make them go to prison. The way the Bible defines sin is simply this, it's rejecting God as God in order to be God yourself. It's saying to God, God, I don't want you to be the boss of my life. I want to run my own life my own way. It's ignoring God. It's not thanking him. It's rejecting his place in your life. And it leads to selfish actions, selfish thoughts, self-centered realities where you abuse power, people, it's the reason why our world suffers. The reason why our world suffers is because we've rejected the true God and His good way for living in the world and we've decided we're the boss of this world and I've decided I'm the boss and Manuel's decided and Caleb's decided and everyone here's decided and we're kind of trying to be God over each other and crushing each other and, it's, and our whole world's busted and that's how sin breaks our world. But as Jesus hangs on that cross, He takes upon Himself all of our sin... of our rejection of God and he takes the punishment for it and in that moment God the father because he is a good God and he can't allow sin to continue without judging it he takes out his punishment on his son and so what he endures Jesus is being cut off from his loving from the father's loving presence. he was forsaken when Jesus looked to his father about who said about him, this is my son whom I love, he experienced God the Father's anger. And yet at the same time, God the Father was not just sitting up there thinking, Jesus, I'm enjoying punishing my son right now. It was as if the Father had tears in his eyes as he takes out his righteous anger on his son instead of us. You see, what was happening on the cross was this. God, Father and Son, was taking into their own very relationship the sin and suffering of the world. It's like their relationship swallowed up the pain, the evil, the sin that was ours on the cross. God the Son chose to be endure being cut off from the Father. God the Father chose to endure suffering, uh, cutting off His beloved Son. And so in that sense, God swallowed up our sin. God swallowed up our suffering. Why? Well, He did it to end our suffering. He did it because he loves us to end our suffering i had a mate who would struggle with this question of how god could be good when suffering exists and the metaphor he used for us this he said what is to say that god is not just some evil ant farmer up in the sky and we are his ants and he is up there completely unmoved and removed from our suffering just letting us kill each other basically and when we're suffering we can feel like that one can't we we can feel like God, if there is one, is not good. He's just an evil ant farmer. But Good Friday says this. It says that the ant farmer became an ant. The ant farmer became an ant. God became man to swallow up the suffering and pain and sin of our world into his very own relationship because he loves us. Because he loves us. See, Good Friday says God's goodness is not just a possibility. God is good. He came and swallowed up the suffering of this world. And one day, like Eleanor said in the video, he will come back again to restore this world perfectly. And in this in-between that time, although we don't know the exact answers of why we suffer... You know, I'm not going to be able to sit down with you and you tell me the exact thing in your life and I'm going to say, oh, well, that's the reason why it happened. I'm not going to be able to say that to you, but I can tell you what the answer is not. The answer is not because God is evil. God has proved he is good and all-powerful at the cross. God suffered for you and he suffered for me. We worship a God who suffers, a God who has entered into our pain and suffering and so this morning, if you are a person who is suffering, I'm not sure where you're up to in your life, if you're a person who is going through it at the moment, know this, Good Friday offers more than just a possibility. It's not just a philosophical possibility. It is the ultimate demonstration that God is good and that He loves you. He loves you. If this, uh, this passage today, this conversation today has... Has hit a nerve, and you're working through some stuff, and you'd love to chat to someone. Then I'd love to chat with you uh, this morning, uh, and pray with you, and encourage you any way I can. Uh, We are a church that embraces anyone who is going through struggle, and want to encourage them wherever they're up to. So please come and have a chat to me. Let me pray, Father God. We thank you that you show us, even in the midst of the of our suffering even when we don't know exactly why it's happening, even when it's a struggle, that you are good and you show it by sending your son Jesus to die for us, to, to take into your very relationship between father and son, the brokenness of this world, the sin that we have done and the suffering that we cause. We thank you that we cannot walk away from the cross thinking anything other than you are a God who loves us who is good. Father, for the people here this morning, for the people online this morning who are going through suffering in this particular time, Father, I pray that this, they would recognise the goodness of God at the cross today and they would turn and trust and pursue Jesus as a consequence. And we pray in his name. Amen.